Good morning, everybody. Test, test, test. Did I turn it on? Yes, I did. It's on. One, two, three, four. There we go. Something's happening. All right. Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in there in worship with you just a minute ago, and I wrote something down, and I just, I don't know who this is for, but, and here's the word I wrote down. We may not all have similar life experiences, but we each have access to the same God. God, not just circumstance, determines your destiny. And I don't know who that's for here in the room, but boy, just, just understand that your circumstances, even ones that you create that are screwed up. You ever done that before? I have had whole seasons and maybe a decade or two like that. But God is, is the one who sets the course of your destiny as you partner with him in faith. Your circumstances are not God. They only have authority if you give them authority. God is the ultimate authority of all things. He's the one that determines your destiny. And so that's important for you to remember. By the way, this is Mother's Day, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, we're, I'm, I'm just processing this whole thing, too, being not from that gender. Uh, <laughs> got to be careful anymore. You say anything, you get shot. But I really feel like uh, there's more going on than just celebrating motherhood. Uh, you can be a mother or a father biologically, but not be one spiritually. We, can, we see that in our culture. And the thing that I, I, I want to emphasize is that, that uh, whether you're a mom that has children or you're single that has never had kids or you're somebody that got married and you've never produced children, that really isn't what this is about. It's about you reflecting that part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit, by the way. The Holy Spirit is probably akin to a woman more than anything else. The Spirit comforts and nurtures. Uh, that's another form of an expression of strength that, uh, that God does through women. And I, it's almost like I'd like to rename this like Women's Day, you know. There's just something about the presence of a woman in the life of a man that gives us a sense of what the Holy Spirit moves like. In fact, it's interesting, in some of Jan's ministry, um, when there's a blockage of a work of the Holy Spirit, it typically is linked back to a relationship flaw with a mom. And I want to just say something to you. It's really easy to focus on all the down stuff. We, by the way, no mom's perfect. We all think they are, but they're just, they're girls, you know? I mean, honestly, I mean, just to be real. But some of us have had moms that have had less imperfections than others, and I celebrate that because that's what I had. But if, if that was the case not for you and you had a struggle in that relationship, you're not defined by that. God is defining you based on the Spirit, and you can rise above that. Wouldn't it be awesome in this next year that if there was that increased healing in that whole area where next Mother's Day you would be actually a witness to the redeeming power of God to just speak to, to women of all ages that just haven't quite got that yet. In fact, I think it's a ministry. I think this motherhood thing's a big deal. It's not biological, it's spiritual. If biologically you have some kids, that's great. I'm one of the, I'm, I'm a result of that, so I'm really happy to be alive. So anyway, I want to just say if you're here and you're a woman, I bless you. If you're a mom specifically, we bless you today. Thanks for doing all you do. Amen? All right. If you've got a Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew 11. <clears throat> I'm going to the ushers asked me this morning, what would you like? And I said, I'd like a glass of water. <laughs> I'm firing all of them. So if you see an usher, 
There you go. Somebody's doing it. There you go, Danny. I love you. You're not an usher, but Danny hears all things. You know, Danny's that kind of guy. Danny Hall's the kind of guy that hears everything going on in the church, and he's right there to meet all needs. He's just an amazing human being. But I'm going to tell a story about a personal moment of, my dis- of despair in my life where I had never had despair ever in my life, and I felt it for the first time. Um, because we're going to talk about John the Baptist today, who's in prison, a man who all his life was known for being a guy that roamed the wilderness and, and yelled at people. I mean, he looked like a nutcase. He was out there wearing uh, animal hair and eating locust and honey, and honestly, if you saw him in an alley at night, you'd just run from him. But God chose him to speak and announce. I said some nice things about you just a minute ago. Uh, you did, yeah. And, and, and maybe it's recorded. You could listen to it and just, you know. Uh, you put it on, what do they call it? Put that on a loop? Yeah. Thanks, Danny. <clears throat> and John the Baptist uh, ends up in prison, and for a guy that lived most of his life in the woods, being in a cell would kill him. And when you feel trapped in a cell of personal despair, the only thing that will get you out of that cell is not a change of your circumstance, but a word from God or an encounter with God. So that's kind of the whole sermon. If you want the sermon in a sentence, there it is. And when I teach young pups how to preach, I'm saying, what's your sermon in a sentence? Well, I don't know. Well, you don't have anything to preach yet. Go back and get the sentence for the sermon. But the sermon sentence for you is that there's nothing that you're going through of despair, that God does not have a word that could set you free from that. So um, 19, at 19, good night, come on, 2013, not 1913, that'd be a little while ago. I am a, a little bit older, but not that old. <clears throat> 2013, we had that big snowstorm in December. Remember that thing? It actually produced like about four inches of snow. So we thought the world was ending, you know. So. But it was cold enough to capture and hold that snow on some of the residential back streets for, for a couple of weeks, you know. And one night, Jan had asked me <coughs> to go to a neighbor's place about three blocks away and pick up a laptop computer and come back. And I thought, well, good. I've been sitting on my keister all day. I want to get up and move around. So... I like walking around when it's snowy looking. It's kind of fun. So I go out of the house, down our street, down this little cross street that doesn't have any houses on it, and meet the guy, get the computer, and I walk back. On the way out of the house, I had smarts enough to pick up my cell phone. Uh, I'm of the generation now that's learning that that needs to be attached to you at all times. And so I went out the door, grabbed my cell, put it in the back pocket, picked up the phone, or the, the uh, computer, and on the way back, I was walking along, and the, the snow was in patches, and then there was clear pavement and snowy patches, clear pavement. And I'm walking along, I'm kind of not even thinking, this is like a no-brainer, go three blocks from your house, what could happen? You know, pick up a, a laptop. And I'm walking back, and I st- step out with my right leg onto a piece of ice, and my foot slipped, but then caught on dry pavement. And in that moment, all my 225 pounds came down to bear on my quadriceps tendon. Now, the quadriceps tendon is the largest tendon in the body, and this is... The, big honking muscle here. The physical therapist that would work on me later on after the injury said in 35 years he's only seen three of them tear. This is a pretty remarkable thing to tear. It takes a lot of force to do that. So my tendon snapped and I felt like somebody had taken a a pickaxe and and done that to my knee. It was like hurt like nothing else. Down I went, you know. And I thought, crud, you know. I, d- I didn't say any dirty words. It just said crud, you know. <laughs> and so, not because I'm a pastor, because it just wouldn't have helped. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm laying there in this pile of pain like, oh, my 
gosh. And then I, my leg is just like getting big like this. So I pick up my cell phone. I call Jan. And I said, babe, I really hurt myself. You know, she could tell my voice this wasn't a game. And uh, what I was really thankful for is that she had her cell phone near her because I would have froze to death. Because I was on a section of road about two or three blocks long that had no houses on it. It was just a berm down into the creeks. And, uh, and I would have had to crawl. And I'm not sure I would have made it. And about the, that time, she hung up. She starts coming my way. This car pulls down the road about 200 feet away from me. He slows down, then backs up, takes a look. And I know he sees me. This human body laying in the road. So he starts coming down this side street. Jan starts coming. They meet me to get together. Uh, what happened? Ouch. You know, explain the whole thing. They put me in the, the guy helped Jan get me in the car. That's not an easy thing to do when somebody's almost immobile. And so we drove to the hospital. I get there. And by then, man, my leg is literally, I'm not joking, two times the size of this knee here. And they confirm what happened. You know, and if you don't attach this, you're going to limp the rest of your life, you know, because, boy, this muscle, this tendon is a pretty big deal. Three days later, they take me in the hospital, cut me open from here to here, open me up, reattach it, whatever they did, screwed me back together, and gave me a bunch of dope. <laughs> That's what it was. And just said, go home, take these, have fun. And so, <laughs> so I, I did, and... Uh, First night, I'm trying to sleep with all this medication and pain in me, and I'm just thrashing, you know. And we have a king-size bed, and Jan's on this, like, microscopic <laughs> section of it, and Mr. Flail is out here, you know. And finally, I realized the best nurse in the world, this, is, this woman is the best nurse God ever created. And so um, she loved me and stroked my little leg and, made, you know, all that kind of stuff, and I decided I wasn't going to screw up her night's sleep. I needed a healthy nurse, so I decided I'm going to spend the rest of my recuperation sleeping on the leather couch in the living room. And uh, it's kind of odd, but you know, when you're stoned, you don't really know. And so, <laughs> so I'm out there, and after about three weeks of this uh, on the couch, I, I honestly had some wonderful times with God in the middle of the night. Uh, my dog would sleep with me uh, there on the foot of Abby, my Australian shepherd, and she'd, I'd reach down and touch her. We'd listen to the noises in the night together. I, I kind of actually liked some of that, but... After about three weeks of that on crutches, you know, like this, because uh, the wound is still healing, uh, one night I, I walked into the bathroom, and when I finished up and I was washing my hands and I had these crutches here, and I look into the mirror, and I saw my face. It was like white and sallow and drawn and bags under my eyes, and I, I looked like hell. I did. I, I didn't look like heaven. I looked like hell. Not a, not a street colloquial term, but just I looked like I was ravaged. And I looked at that, and then all of a sudden the mirror turned into a motion picture screen. And I saw this river, and I'm floating down the river, and here's these falls, like Niagara Falls, and they were the falls of despair. And for the first time in my life, I had never felt this before. I'm not just talking about being down, a little depressed, but I felt despair boom, get on top of me like I had never had before in my life. And I've known friends that have gone off that ledge of despair that, that falls and have never come back. And I wasn't about to do that. And, and just, I don't know what happened or how it took place, but I yelled at the mirror. I said, I don't have despair, I have God! Just, I yelled it just like that. Crutches and sallow look and everything. 
And in a moment, it was like a, a, the light of the Lord took over the room and just erased that entire image. And then I was looking at me again. And then I hobbled back out to the couch. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'm hoping to wake Jan up. You know, I'm yelling for help or something. And I lay down on the couch. And I just feel like the despair had been lifted off of me. And I thought, what's going on? How, it's such a dramatic sense of emotion that I was feeling. And as I laid there, the Lord said, I'm taking you to a good place. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? I, I mean, this is, I, mean I, I can understand future take me to a good place, but this doesn't feel really good. He says, no, this is a good place too, but I'm going to take you to a good place. In other words, you're always in a good place when you're relating to me. And I laid there, and he says, here's what I want you to do. You had an assignment that you were going to write this book called A Good Place about the transitions of life. You're going to write it in two years. I want you to write it now. I want you to take the next four weeks on this couch and I want you to write that book and ended up being a book about the transitions of life called A Good Place, all seeded out of that experience of despair being re released off of me. And in the despair that I felt that day, nothing would have lifted it off of me unless I had a word from the Lord. There would have been nothing that would have changed my status quo had not God shown up. And for some of you in moments of despair, and there's despair in this room, because if you've got this many people, somebody's living in despair. And if you're in despair right now, I want to tell you something. God has a word for that despair that will get rid of it in the instant, just like it happened with me as I looked into that mirror. God is coming to you with a word to set you free. And I want to do something here with you today. I want you to go into Scripture with me. And, and I want to look at, uh, at John's life. Um, you know, John, you know how John ended up in prison? You know, John was this wild, crazy, in-the-wilderness guy that speaks his mind for God. And he was the cousin of Jesus, you know. He was family. And um, one day, the, the Roman ruler, Herod, went to Rome to visit his brother, ends up sleeping with his brother's wife, brings her back with him, divorces his wife in Galilee, and sets this gal up as his new wife. So John the Baptist sees this happen. It's played out in the public square, this act of adultery if you will. And he calls Herod out on it. Herod, like a despot that he is, says, well, buddy, you're going to prison. Put him in prison. That's why he was in prison. He's in prison. And later on, you know, Herodias and the daughter Salome, that'd be the dance. And then give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, John didn't know that right now, but he is in the middle of a prison cell Never before experienced that for a guy who likes to be out in the boondocks and the woods and, and has his vibe with God out there, not in a prison cell. So uh, I want to read with that context in mind, and I want to unpack this whole thing about despair because this is a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Lord, help us, please. Verse 1, chapter 11 of Matthew. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, and by the way, you should read chapter 10 because the instructions were, I'm going to send you out to, to do miracles and signs and wonders and set captives free, and you're going to move in the power of the Spirit. Don't take a lot with you. Move easily and powerfully. And those were the instructions. And it says, Then he went out to teach, after he gave those instructions, and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, for calling Herod out, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? That's the most remarkable and baffling question, I think, in the whole Bible. Why? John was a cousin of Christ, knew who he was. 
on the day of Jesus' baptism, just a few chapters before this, he's the one saying, this is the Messiah, he's the one, he's, I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces, and this is him, he proclaimed him to be who he is. And here he is now sitting alone in prison, and, and, the, and the issue is there was a lot in that statement that uh, is going to be made about who Jesus was, but, but we got to understand, we're not dealing with theology here. We're dealing with a person. Because if you park the understanding of any scripture just in the theology of it, you'll miss the impact of it. All theology is our best attempt to try to explain how God works in the lives of human beings. This is a guy who's alone in a prison cell, and it changes how you feel and how you look at life. No matter what you believed before the prison of despair, once you're in the prison of despair, everything about you is challenged. I looked in that mirror that day on those crutches, and as I looked in that mirror, it didn't matter that at that time I had been a pastor for 33 years and had gotten saved in 1958 in a Baptist church. None of that mattered. That's just history. What mattered in that moment is I needed an encounter with God. And without an encounter of God, none of this stuff called Christianity is going to work because in the end, we're just going to show up in a room like this and hear a great sermon, go home, and live a life of despair. And God's not called us for that. This is a remarkable question, but it, it, it's, it's so honest Jesus, I'm so screwed up in this jail cell, I don't even know if you're the Messiah anymore. Should I keep looking? And then verse 6. Jesus told them, these disciples of John's, go back and tell John, tell him what you have heard and seen. That's so important for you to understand those three words, heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now there's a lot in that, in that message he's sending back. There's some messianic confirmation that carried deeper purpose. It was uh, about a man, though, struggling not with his theology, but a man struggling with with deeper things than theology. He's struggling with who he is and how he relates to God. And I think when Jesus gave him that phrase, he just said, John, I know what's going to happen to you. He's not, he didn't say it in the text. I know what's going to happen to you. I'm sending this message to you so you can die in peace. That's what, what's going on here. It's, it's, it's God in the person of Christ saying to somebody who knows his head's going to be on a platter here in a few days as a macabre gesture in a sick party. When he said um, in verse 6, and he, and he added, it says here, and he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. This was a statement, though, that was directed uh, personally to John, saying, John, there's going to be a shift to take place. You're the last of the Old Testament prophets. I'm the first of a whole line of prophets for a New Testament, New Covenant. This one's different. You, you worked with law, I'm working with grace. This is going to sound different. Um, it, it's going to be different. It might even throw you a little bit, John, because grace sounds so different than law. And you've faithfully done what you've done. So when you reread the word, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me, he's saying, John, don't let any of this throw you. Don't let the shift from law to grace throw you. Don't let the jail cell throw you. Don't let the despair throw you. Hang in there, stay tight, it's okay. So when you're in a 
personal prison of doubt, despair, fear, whatever you want to call it, the only real freedom you're ever going to have is to know that God's still at work on your behalf. I mean, despair really feeds on itself. It's, like it's a cannibal that never satisfies. It just keeps eating. Despair, that, that feeling of despair, if it's not addressed, encountered, and dealt with, it will take you over the falls. Maybe some of you in this room have been able to come back from that, but very few people actually do. It's, it's a tremendous fall. God is all-powerful. He can bring you back, but why would you want to go over it in the first place? He said in verse 4, tell him what you've heard and seen. You know, a lot of American Christianity, and I'm not putting it down because we're part of it, but a lot of American Christianity is a lot of heard stuff, but not much seen stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but where are we seeing the heard message? What's the message? Well, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Most of the American church parks on the last one about preaching the good news to the poor. But we forget the very thing that actually opens the hearts and minds of people to see God, and that's an encounter with God that's supernatural. And the, what I had that day in that mirror is every bit of supernatural is growing out of limb because every God encounter is supernatural. There's other parts of this scene list. Uh, maybe a marriage needs to get saved. That's a miracle. Maybe a, a prodigal son needs to come back to his faith instead of living the way he's been living. Maybe a supernatural financial need is transpires or somebody gets delivered from a perversion. Whatever the list is, God wants to encounter us in ways that um, we need encountering or despair is just going to take over. I, 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 I trace through the entirety of the New Testament on, on how God encountered people. and boy, It's remarkable. I just pulled four of them out. I'm going to do four of these and then we're going to be over. But I, I looked at the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.22 says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. The endorsement of Jesus, that, that NASCAR hat that has the Coca-Cola sign on it, the endorsement thing. You know what endorsement is? It means I represent the product. The endorsement of Christ, the product of the kingdom of God, was endorsed through signs, wonders, and miracles. Not church buildings, church programs, women's retreats, but what happens in those places of an encounter matters, but those things themselves produce no life at all. I write. Everything I write has no good if it doesn't create an encounter. This, uh, this miracle endorsement is the endorsement that still exists today because Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I never change. My methods never change. So you never will get into a season of church history where the miraculous power of God is not fully available to the church unless the church has designed and defined it out of their midst and then they live in moments of despair. Here's another one. Romans 15, 19. It says they, they being Gentiles, that's, that's us unless you're of Jewish descent. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented, this is Paul talking, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium. You can't fully represent the gospel that saves you unless the signs, wonders, and miracles 
follow the life of the church. Not everybody's going to raise the dead. Not everybody's going to cast out a demon. Not everybody's going to have a healing ministry. But you've got to be part of a mindset that says that is the reality of the full representation of the gospel message. Why do I say that? Because I just read it out of the Bible. That make sense? This culture that you live in and I live in, man, is just no longer going to be convinced that God is real by anything that we're doing right now. They're not convinced by our buildings. They're not convinced by what we do in ministry, but they would be convinced if they saw God show up in signs and wonders and powers so that nothing could be misconstrued. This was God. This only happened because God showed up. So what am I doing? What are you doing that requires God to show up and manifest himself in such a way that despair has no foothold in our life anymore? There's millions of Muslims coming to Christ Right now, in Muslim nations, you won't see it on the, on the news, but there are millions, millions of them. I know men that, and women that are involved in those ministries. There are millions of Muslims coming to Christ in Pakistan because of two things. One, he's appearing to them in the middle of the night in their dreams, and they're getting saved in the middle of the night, and then they wake up the next day, and they're no longer Muslim. They're Christian. They don't know how they got there. And then there's another way it's happening. They're having hundreds of thousands of people in mass gatherings where the word is heard and then it's seen in a demonstration of power. Daniel Kalinda is one of them. They'll speak to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people about the message of Christ and they'll start demonstrating signs and wonders and healing and literally hundreds of thousands get saved every night. Man. That'll kill despair. Are you despairing about a Muslim invasion? I tell you what, the invasion is Jesus. That's the invasion. The Muslim stuff's a little dinky stuff. Uh, Harold Eberly said once, gosh, we, we have two terrorists in San Bernardino that kill a bunch of people, innocent people, and we're so focused on that that we forgot that last week a million Muslims came to Christ. Time to get real here. Here's another one. Paul's still right in 1 Corinthians 2.4. And my message and my preaching were very plain. In other words, he was a real dud as a preacher. <laughs> I mean, really, just kind of plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive words and lights and smoke and podcasts and stuff, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. The message about Jesus is a message of power and it doesn't rely on what you and I bring to the table, but it relies on what God does in desperate situations to transform untransformable circumstance. Here's a, here's a fourth one. Hebrews 2, 4. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit wherever He chose. I, you know, I went back and checked that scripture this morning, and followed a warning of the church drifting away from the salvation message. Isn't that interesting that, that the message that we believed we could actually drift away from if there's not a confirmation that it's real by the signs and wonders and miracles. Your theology is not going to confirm that message. Your statement of faith is not going to confirm that message. What confirms that message and destroys despair is that God showed up and did things that no human being manufactured or made happen. So, what am I saying here? A powerless gospel produces powerless people. A powerless gospel makes 
room for despair. Because when you're faced with what's looking at you in the mirror, the only way out of that is that God will change what you're seeing. And that's what he did for me, and he's done for many of you in this room. It's never too late. There's nothing in this room going on that's, that's despair-wise that's beyond the touch of God. Come on. I mean, he said the universe and these distant universes created they were created in a heartbeat. Just boom. You think he can, he can change your despair? You are in a season now where the Spirit of God is going to come visit this Western version of the church that we have and he's going to radically shake it up. He's not going to shake it up because economics are changing, because people's preferences are changing. He's going to shake it up because the water has gone still and he's going to ruffle the water and he's going to bring the wind of the Spirit back and he's going to do things that you and I are going to... Uh, we're just going to go... Despair can't live in this anymore because I see God. Tori, come on up and I... I I told Tori earlier this week, I'm just really glad that uh, he and I were teaming together today. But I just, uh, I want Tori, because Tori's got a, a, a wonderful anointing for this, just to take us into a place right now in these last few moments that we have together to connect, encounter uh, God, and, and to just let despair of whatever else is standing in the way of God's fullness in your life to just not go out that door with you. And in Jesus' name, I release faith into this room, a supernatural level of faith. For some of you who now carry no faith that this will ever happen, I, I say in Jesus' name, may you receive that measure of faith right now to shift you away from cynicism, because that's a spirit, by the way. Cynicism is a demon spirit. It's not a human attitude, it's a, because it's after faith. And I rebuke the work of that in this room right now. And I, I just b release belief and faith that you would rise up and despair would be dispelled. Amen.